some, some uh, passages from the books of the prophets. And I'm in the 50th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Would you turn please to Isaiah chapter 50. Thus says the Lord, Where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities and your transgressions, your mother, for your transgressions, your mother has sent, was sent away. Why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there none to answer? Is my hand so short that it cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. I bring about dryness to a person's life. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. Take a pencil and circle verse 3. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will, all, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands you've set ablaze, this you will have from my hand, and you will lie down in torment. I want you to look again at verse 10. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness, and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay on his God, literally. Not long ago I heard from a pastor friend of mine, this uh, young man, or man really, is just about everybody is young to me now, but uh, this uh, pastor is 
this godly man, saintly man, and he said, Gerald, you know, for the last um, few months, I have literally been um, walking in darkness. He said, I have no conscious awareness of God. I have no joy in my salvation. I pray and there's no uh, answer to my prayers. I preach and there's no power to my preaching. I witness and there is no result of my witness. He said, I feel like a man who has been enveloped in darkness. Now, I was somewhat surprised to hear this from my friend, such a, a godly person, saintly person, but I'm not surprised that he was, you know, he uh, traveled through this period of darkness in his life because each of us has been there. I suppose that the greatest way to tell if a man really knows the Lord and has a re deep relationship with God is how he acts in the darkness. I'm not talking about physical darkness, however that does apply, but I'm talking about spiritual darkness. I think the real issue, are you hearing me? The real issue is not how much light you have, but what you do when there is none. There is what you do when darkness comes and there is no spiritual guidance or sense of His presence or effect in your prayer. Now I want to give you a definition of darkness as the Hebrew word has it here. Okay, Get ready for this profound definition of darkness from the Hebrew. Here it is, the absence of light. Now that's a real profound definition of darkness. For what you have here is a description of what happens when light is removed, that is, a sense of the presence of God and the leadership of God and the anointing of God and the hand of God, when that is removed. That's what you have described by the word darkness. Um, picture a man on a journey and all of a sudden the lights go out. He doesn't know where he's going because he can't see the path. He doesn't even know where he's been. He hears voices or noises in the dark. He doesn't know if they're friend or foe because he can't identify them. And he stumbles over obstacles in his path because he's not aware of them there. For when the light is removed and the darkness comes, he is totally helpless without perception, without any kind of sense of direction, without any sense of friend or foe. And that's what this prophet is talking about. That's what this passage is about. Messianic in some degree, that is, a person's attitude or actions the way he lives when he is totally without a sense of God. That's what we have. Now what do you do when that happens? When the lights go out and the darkness comes, what do you do? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you hadn't asked, we'd already been out of here and gone because we'd have had to have a need for a summer. Since you asked, number one, you keep on walking. Now, if you're driving home tonight and the lights go out on your automobile and there are no street lights by which to see, 
be a good idea for you to pull over the side of the road and get some help. I mean, call, you know, the automobile club or whatever. Call somebody. Don't, don't call me, by the way. I don't plan to. Call, call somebody. It's a good idea if the lights go out for you to move over to the side of the road and quit. Turn off the key and get help. Now, when the lights go out spiritually, you do exactly the opposite. The characteristic of the people of God when darkness comes is not that they quit, it's they keep on. What do you do when you pray and you get no answer to your prayer? You keep on praying. And what do you do when God withdraws His conscious presence and you do not sense Him and, you do not, and you're not aware that He's there or conscious of any kind of leadership. What do you do? You just keep on keeping on like you did before. And what happens when you witness to your friends and you're rejected again and again and again? Worst thing for you to do is to quit. You just keep on witnessing. Adoniram Judson witnessed for seven years before he ever saw a convert. And what do you do when you come in November and a preacher stands up and at least implies that if you will tithe part of your income, tithe your income, that you can live better off the 90% than you can off of the 100% and, and implies that if you will tithe, God will see to it that you have provision enough and so you tithe and it just doesn't work out that way. You can't pay your bills. What do you do? You keep on tithing. For what you do when the darkness comes is the same thing you do when you're walking in the light. You just keep on doing what you did before. I know a lady whose husband is lost, and she's prayed for that man for, you know, 20, 30 years. Shared a witness to him, not nag him, and just prayed for him. And somebody said to her one day, um, you know, when are you going to quit praying for your husband? And you know, when are you going to give up? And she said, until he's buried in the grave, I'm going to keep on praying for his salvation. Well, you do. You keep on walking. All right, number two. You don't light your own fire. Okay? You don't light your own fire. Now, what we want to do when we don't have light, when we don't have perception or knowledge or leadership or guidance, what we want to do is take matters in our own hands. And we want to light our own fires. I'm talking about this substitute light, you know, that we always bring in on a situation. And that's what he's talking about in verse 11. Now, notice what he's saying in verse 11. He said, if you kindle your fire and you walk in your own light that I'm going to make sure that you lie down in torment. I'm going to make, it's going to get bad for you. It's going to be worse. Now what he's saying is this, is that when you pray and you don't get immediate answers, what we want to do is we want to run on ahead and answer our own prayers. You know what I'm saying? Does that sound familiar? Sound like anybody you know? And when you ask God or we ask God for guidance and counsel on a certain situation, instead of waiting for God, if we don't get immediate response from God or immediate guidance, we begin to figure out the matter in our own minds and take matters in our own hands. That's just human nature. And when we ask God for something and God doesn't immediately deliver, our you know, our feeling is, well, you know, maybe it's up to me. So we run ahead of God. And the big problem that most of us have is that we never wait on God long enough. 
and we start our own fires and we substitute our own life and that's the greatest mistake you'll ever make as a believer. Just believe me on that. It's the greatest mistake you could ever make. Now the reason why it's the greatest mistake is because of two things. Number one is because darkness is ordained of God. Darkness is ordained of God. It was said of Jesus that He was the life and in that life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness and the darkness failed to overpower it. If you've got a King James, the real Bible, it says that darkness comprehended it not. Now that's a real good translation of that. I mean it means that the light was not put out by the darkness. I'm not telling you anything you don't know when I tell you this. That the greatest darkness cannot overcome the smallest light. The, the opposite is true. The tiniest light can overtake the greatest darkness. For you see, the night follows the day and darkness comes only when, watch this, darkness comes only when light is removed. Now let's suppose, hypothetically, that it's too light in here. Frankly, it seems a little dark to me, but let's just suppose that it's too light in here. So we say, well, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's open the shades, let's draw back the shades and let more darkness come in. You know, and you know, that, that sounds kind of goofy because you don't take, you know, draw back the shades and let the darkness come in because the darkness doesn't overtake the light. The light overtakes the day, overtakes the darkness. The day precedes the night so that the evening and the morning were the first day and, 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 and after light was removed, darkness came. Now, with that goofy analogy, let's see if we can't apply what I'm trying to say. If there is darkness, it is because God has ordained it. Now occasionally um, somebody will come to me, it happens a lot of often, not every day, but often. They come to me with this kind of distress and anxiety in this statement. You know, I'm in a period of my life and I'm, I'm going through a dry period, I'm going through a period of darkness in my life and I'm just absolutely concerned about it, I'm not even sure I'm saved because I don't feel like I'm getting any answers anywhere with God. I have no sense of God's presence. I may not even be saved. And we, we chafe at the darkness. We, we lash out at it. We, we, we reject the darkness. I'm here to tell you that the darkness in your life spiritually is oftentimes ordained of God Himself for two reasons. The first reason is, is because there are some things that you can only see in the dark. Now you walk out tomorrow at noontime, look up in the sky, and you won't see any stars. <laughs> well, I can tell you they're, they're there. I mean, I don't suppose, now I'm not sure, I'm not, a, you know, I'm sure that uh, Polson can, can straighten me out on this, but I don't think that something happens and you take the stars out and put them up in a drawer somewhere and then at night put them back. 
it seems to me that, you know, if I know things, any, anything at all, that the stars are out there in the middle of the day, the same place they are at the middle of the night. The problem is you just can't see them except in the dark. You can't see the moon except in the dark. And there are some things about God that you will never learn except in the darkness. Ah. Now, if, ordain, if, if, if light and, and darkness are both ordained of God, if God has ordained the darkness, then we are frustrating the plan of God when we reject the darkness in our life. Does that make sense to you? That some of us who have gone through these dark valley experiences, and all of us have, this preacher that I talked to was going through it, we have come through some of those experiences and have come out on the other side to testify that the greatest things we have ever learned from God, we learned in those experiences. I was uh, talking it to BSU the other day, warming up for this sermon. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't really. I was doing my own deal out there. But I told him about a man by the name of uh, Carte, in the Carte, Carpe Diem, uh, uh, Campola talks about R. Buckminster Fuller. You, you remember him? R. Buckminster Fuller, you remember that in Carpe Diem? This guy, is this, he, has a, he has a catalog of inventions. He's the guy that fought up the geodesic dome. He, he, has, this, he has this creative and ingenious mind, R. Buckminster Fuller. And when he was a young man, he went, he went totally blind. He went to bed one night, able to see, got up the next morning, was totally blind. No reason for it, no explanation for it at all. It's just that he went to sleep one night, sight, with, with sight, woke up the next morning, totally sightless. And he lived a long period of time in total blindness, absolute total blindness. One night he went to bed blind, next morning he woke up seeing. No explanation for it, no reason for it, except that he went to bed blind, got upsided. And he testifies to the fact that what he is now and what he, what, what he, was, what he is able to accomplish and this ingenious creative mind is the result of that period of darkness. He said that in our culture we, are, we have this, you know, take it for granted kind of lifestyle. You know, we, we take for granted and he, and, he, and he attributes this creative imagination that he has to the creative imagination that was developed in his darkness. I tell you, there are some things that you will never learn except in the darkness ordained of God. And the second reason why it is so dangerous to take matters in your own hands and create your own light is because artificial light is inadequate and, and deceptive and dangerous. Now, I used this illustration one time before. It's a true story. Every, every man here has had this happen to him. Gets up, goes to the sock drawer, reaches in there. He's in a, kind of in a hurry anyway. And he pulls out two socks. One is navy 
blue and the other is black. What's, what's going on? Dead? Yeah, dead. Uh-huh. One's navy blue and the other's black. Now, you, you look at this suit I got on. What color would you think his suit is? Black? That's yes, navy blue. Uh-huh, I got you. Yeah, all right. Now, so you, 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 you go in a sock drawer and you pull out these two socks that look exactly alike. And you're looking at them like, yes, I believe, yeah, I believe these, are, believe these match. And so you put them on, you get out in the, in the daylight, and right it's a spot where it's the most embarrassing. You look down, oh, Lord, embarrassing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you look down, and, and one is blue and the other is, is black. As a matter of fact, most of the time, I take my socks out to the sunlight, you know, before I put them on. And I use this illustration, and a lady came up to me, true story, and gave me a package of these dudes right there. And she said, I'll tell you how to prevent getting one sock blue and one sock black. You put these things on your socks before you put them in the washer. Hey, little invention there. And uh, never have another blue and black sock. Of course, if you're Lewis Barker, he had on one shoe of one kind and one other shoe. And that is absolutely a true story. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, uh, is, uh, the problem with artificial light is it's very deceptive. Now, let me tell you how it works spiritually. There was a man named Abraham that God had told him, he said, Now I'm going to make of you, uh, 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 all the nations come out of your loins, and of you I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. And, and, and so Abraham rejoiced in that promise. But the promise took some while being fulfilled. You know the story of what Abraham decided to do. He decided he'd create his own artificial light. And he took his wife's handmaid and, and, and had a baby with her. her. His name was Ishmael. And we are still reaping the consequences of that artificial light. For if you go to what is called the Holy Land now, or if you want to see on, watch television at all, you'll see on CNN the conflict that still exists in our world as the result of Ishmael and Isaac because a man took matters in his own hands. And there was, if that's not enough illustration, there was a man named Moses. And he saw his people in conflict, you know, the, the slaves beating up on his people, his people in suffering, and he decided, well, God's not going to do anything about this. I'll do something about it myself. And so he lit a fire himself, and he slew the Egyptian. Didn't realize, didn't think, was too stupid to realize that God ordained their suffering and as the result of taking the matter in his own hands, he set back the purpose of God 40 years. And if that's not enough illustration, there is Simon Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane whipping out his sword and ripping off the ear of a, of, of a soldier. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, in essence, Tibble paraphrase, put up your weapon. This is my purpose and God's purpose for me. Now I want you to write this down. It's the truth. Everybody needs to say something profound from time to time. Reason and faith are like the two compartments of an hourglass 
One cannot be full until the other is empty. Like the two compartments of an hourglass, faith and reason are, this, are like that. One cannot be totally full until the other is totally empty, until a person is totally rejects, totally rejects his own rationale and his own um, uh, concepts, his own uh, emotions or feelings and just goes on faith in God, he will never fully live in faith. Okay, one last thought, please. When the darkness comes, what do you do? Well, you lean on the Lord. Now, I want you to look back with me at verse 10, and, it, and there's a marvelous little play on words here. It says, let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay or lean on. The word is, word is to lean on. It's like, it's the same word uh, for comfort in the 23rd Psalm. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It means that, that there is this, this person that we just fall upon, lean upon. Now, now, don't get me wrong, I don't believe that what I'm saying is like Karl Marx who called religion the opiate of the people or Nietzsche who calls religion a crutch for the weak. But in the purest sense, that's what it is. It's like a person who, who doesn't have legs and he leans on something to support him. So what do you do in the darkness? You just lean on him. Just lean on Jesus. For everywhere in the Bible, everywhere you turn, it talks about trusting Jesus no matter what. And what the Bible tries to teach us in the dark is that there is something better than the light. Are you hearing me? Two of you. You too, listen. There is something better than, than light. There is something better than having knowledge and perception and, and, and guidance, etc. And that something better is Jesus. You can lean on him. When the light begins to dim, still cling to Jesus, sink or swim. Still at his throne bow the knee, and Israel's God thy strength shall be. What have I to dread? What have I to fear leaning on the everlasting arms? I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. Learning to lean, learning to lean, learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I'd ever dreamed, learning to lean on Jesus. What do you do in the dark? Lean on Him. Wish we'd sung His song. Maybe it's not too late, probably is. When no one cared about me, if I should live or die, no one bothered asking why I'd go alone and cry. 
When burdens got so heavy that I could not face the day, then I'd feel his arms around me and I'd hear him gently say, lean on me when you have no strength to stand. When you feel you're going under, hold tighter to my hand. Lean on me when your heart begins to bleed. When you come to the place that I'm all you have, then you'll find I'm all you need. When the road is rugged, ahead is rugged, and the path is getting steep, I feel I can't make it, and my heart begins to weep. Then I turn to see who's coming to join me in the way, and I see that it's my Savior, and I hear him gently say, lean on me when you have no strength to stand. When you feel you're going under, hold tighter to my hand. Lean on me when your heart begins to bleed. When you come to the place that I'm all you have, then you'll find I'm all you need. Lean on me. What do you do in the dark? You just hold out your hand and you feel him there and you lean on him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this truth from your word and I pray that its application will bring joy to our heart. For I pray in Jesus' name. Now there are three invitations. There's an invitation tonight for you to give your heart to Christ. Can't see him? You can trust him. Or maybe you to come because you've decided that you want to place your life in this church. Nobody's had to convince you. You just sense from God this is a place to be. Or maybe for a commitment of your life that goes deeper than what you have heretofore, um, how you heretofore live. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.